You're listening to Team Talk on ESPN Radio, 1017 The Team. Joe O'Neill, RJ Lee's live from Stadium 66 at Route 66 Casino Hotel. We're right around the corner from the book. And uh, in case you were wondering, yes, San Diego State and Alabama tipped off. Alabama was an eight-point favorite in here at tip-off. Uh, the game right now, 13 apiece with 7.36 to go. So uh, if you had the over in the first half, which was 66, I believe, you're not looking really good right now. 13-13 with 7.30 to go in the first half. Alabama and San Diego State out of the Mountain West. San Diego State, I'm, I'm going to say this before we get to top five at five. Without going through each player individually, here's where I thought that San Diego State might have a little bit of an edge, even though Alabama, a number one seed, is San Diego State's got some older dudes on this team, and they go nine deep. So I, I would say that if you took those top nine guys from each school, San Diego State probably is older by a year and a half or two years head-to-head. Uh, -head. Um, you've got a veteran team that won't back down, and right now Alabama with a uh, two-point lead over San Diego State. San Diego State Aztecs hanging in there. All right, Sam, it's time for the top five. Take it away, Sam Hauser. It's time for the Hinkle Law Office's Top 5. Hinkle Law Office is representing motorcycle riders across New Mexico since 1990. Visit HinkleLawOffices.com. Take it away, Sam Hauser. I don't know. Maybe it's just a short guy thing. Maybe it's just because I'm all the way down here and I'll never get to be these guys. But I'm really interested in watching the matchup of the two bigs in this game, San Diego State and, and Alabama as it goes along. Betty Ocko is the big seven-footer for Alabama. Nathan Mensa is six foot ten, but we know he can hold his own against just about anybody. The matchup in the front court with these two teams going to be fun to watch. But yeah, no, absolutely. This team, San Diego State's old. They just got to make some shots, not off to a good start there. But we always start top five at five with who's in, who's out. It's who's in, it's what's in, and it's my lifelong dream that I've had for about four and, years now. But it is well, a lifelong actually, dream. You know, we, we had the build-up, Sam, but we didn't hear the billboard for the top five. Uh, I know you have an introduction for your top five. Let's hear that before you get into the top five, Sam. It's time for the Hinkle Law Office's Top 5. Hinkle Law Office is representing motorcycle riders across New Mexico since 1990. Had you already Visit played that, Sam? Take it away, Sam Hauser. All right. Thank you, big voice guy. Because I got I, I got to get to this. I got to tell this story from last night. My lifelong dream that I've had for about four years now, but it has finally come true, and now I can die a happy man. For the first time, it, it hadn't happened before, but for the first time last night, I got tagged in a social media post that was actually meant for the Boston Celtics, Sam Hauser, and it was it was a glorious night. I'm 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 getting I'm I'm gonna print it out and put it on my fridge after the show. So last night, Sweet 16 going on, Michigan State featuring Joey Hauser. His parents have been at all these games, Mr. and Mrs. Hauser. Michigan State playing Kansas State at Madison Square Garden. The second game at the Garden after that was Tennessee and Florida Atlantic. 
current Boston Celtic, Grant Williams. He's a He played his college ball at Tennessee for the Volunteers, so he's at the game watching Tennessee. So a rando on Twitter puts it out there if Grant Williams and Sam Hauser carpooled to MSG to see their respective teams, families, etc. But he tagged me. Okay, so just to make it clear, what is your Twitter handle and what is the Sam Hauser on the Boston Celtics Twitter handle, Sam? That's the best part of this because they're they're nothing close together. I am at Sam Hauser 92. Should you be so inclined if you're on Twitter at Sam Hauser 92? The basketball player is at Big Smooth 10. So, but I'm sure they searched the name Sam Hauser and didn't really do a, a good job of of searching, you know, thoroughly because you're getting kicked these questions on whether you were carpooling last night uh, to the uh, to Madison Square Garden. And just by looking at the the profile picture, the header of me doing a stupid pose on a rock and the the cover photo being the 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 mascot race at, at Miller Park with the Brewers do with the sausage yeah obviously oh i'm the, i'm the one that plays for the Boston Celtics i mean i'll take it it's it's cuz it's the first time this happened the only thing that had ever come close before this so i first learned about Sam Hauser when he was at Marquette he played at Marquette then transferred to Virginia and now he's with the Boston Celtics i found out about him when he was at Marquette and one time this uh, you know, this Twitter account that, you know, just a blog that writes about Marquette referred to me ha- as his burner account, which was delightful as well. But now we actually got the, the mix up. All right. Well, what el- who else is in, Sam? They still won't let me interview him. I don't uh, Everybody's taking that one way too seriously. Like, what do you think's going to happen? What do you think? It'll happen. happen. It'll happen. I'll take ownership of that project, Sam, and I'll make it happen. Maybe now Trust that he's me. in the NBA. I'll contact the Boston Celtics front office, and I'm saying, hey, we got to make this happen. Sam Hauser with Sam Hauser uh, on ESPN Radio 1017, the team. All right. Who else is out, Sam? In the Celtics. Or in. De- in the Celtics in. defense. I haven't reached out to them yet. All right. Also in Holly Holm. Back in, back in action tomorrow night. She is on the card. It's UFC Fight Night in San Antonio. The main event, Marlon Vera and Corey Sanhagen. But the co-main event, Yana Santos and Holly Holm, who's trying to get back on the championship path. The belief is that with a win tomorrow night, she would get right back on on track to, to try to get her title back. I know you got the odds at the book out there, which is great. The thing that's really, the, that really speaks volumes about this show, and you've brought this up in the past, it's pretty rare for these fight night events. This is not a pay-per-view. This is, you know, the in-between when they do these fight nights on Saturdays. It's pretty rare for these to be outside of Vegas. Most of the time, they're at the Apex, if not T-Mobile Arena. But they're going to San Antonio, and to the point that you've brought up over and over again, it, it speaks to the, the reach that Holly has. The star power of Holly, okay? Yeah. I don't know when her last fight was, but they're having this huge event in the Alamo Dome, I'm assuming, there in San Antonio, and she's second to the last fight. And uh, in case you're wondering, she's, she's fa- uh, home is against Santos. Uh, what's Santos' first name, Sam? Uh, uh, Yana Santos. Yana Santos, Holly Holm, in uh, the fight right before the main event. Uh, In case people are wondering out here at Route 66 Casino Hotel, Holly is minus 250, Santos is plus 210. So, uh, obviously, Holm a a heavy favorite, a a two-and-a-half-to-one favorite over Santos. And in case people are wondering, uh, the rounds are two-and-a-half, and the under 
is, or the over the two and a half is a heavy favorite, minus 280. So if you think this fight isn't going to go two and a half rounds, you get a chance to win uh, $240 on a $100 bet. So that's the latest information. But yeah, it shows the star power of Holly Holm, even though we haven't seen her in a while. Same with J John Bones Jones. He didn't fight for a while, but it was the hugest thing that weekend at T-Mobile. And the next fight he has might be one of the biggest grossing fights of all time. But Holly Holm right there with her, she's still very, very relevant, Sam. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and that that over under you mentioned there is really interesting. Uh, just uh, just so people are aware, two and a half. It, it's it's not a championship fight, it's not a title fight, so it's going to be three rounds. So the fact that they're setting it at two and a half means the the belief there's a very good chance. This one goes it's the distance. Go the distance. Yeah. yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, it's by far the favorite there. You got to wait, lay two eighty to win one hundred if you want to bet on the over there. Okay, uh, what else, Sammy? All right, last one for who is in. It's official. We talked about this yesterday when he made the trip to Las Cruces. He left without a contract, but it didn't take very long after that. New Mexico State hiring Jason Hooten to take over the men's basketball program, plucking him away from Sam Houston State, also in the whack as well. And, you know, it, it's not quite Mark Few territory, but at a school like Sam Houston State, you know, it's a pretty big deal. He had been with the program since 2004, so almost 20 years. Dang. And he'd been the head coach since 2010 at Sam Houston State. That's some dedication right there. It's some dedication, and it's a body of work. Obviously, this, this is such a big decision, uh, the decision of, be the next coach at New Mexico State might be the most important hiring they've had ever in the basketball program and they've had some important ones but one, with what went down uh, here you want a guy that like has a body of work okay as compared to their last hire Greg Hire who was a junior college coach they did win the national championship but he bounced around a lot as an assistant uh, even had a few brush ups along the line that doesn't seem the case you have stability a guy that had been at Sam Houston State for about 20 years and 10 years at the head coach uh, you know I, I say I say all things considered, the budget that New Mexico State has, you got to give them a thumbs up. All right, what else there, Sam? And he was very successful in that time. I mean, you don't stay along that long if you're not a good coach, winning a lot of games. Uh, overall, at Sam Houston State, he finishes now there with a record of 261 and 169 overall, but an even more impressive, almost a two-thirds win percentage in conference, 154 and 76 in conference overall since he took over the job. All right, who's out, Sammy? All right, who's out? We start with the news of the day here in town for the second day in a row. We have a Lobo that's gone portaling. Yesterday, it was Josiah Alec. Now today, it was Javante Johnson. Between the two of those guys, they only missed one game all season, and that was Javante Johnson. So a lot of playing time, a lot of minutes. Uh, Javante Johnson, a full-time starter this season, and at, at, at the tail end of it here for any number of reasons that he has that we probably will never find out about. Uh, Devontae Johnson going to test his luck and see if he might go play somewhere else next year. Yeah, and speaking of this whole portal thing and uh, and you know NIL money that is obviously maybe part of this whole thing, uh, we're going to have Kurt Roth from uh, 505 Sports Venture Foundation joining us in the 6 o'clock hour uh, to talk 
a bunch of different things, including uh, the loss of Javante Johnson. Uh, who else is out, Sammy? Well, Air Force following the same path as New Mexico as well in men's basketball because yesterday was Josiah Alec for the Lobos, Jake Hydebreeder for the Air Force Academy Falcons. Now today it's Javante Johnson for the Lobos and freshman Jordan Rayford for Air Force Academy. He did not play in any games this season, but back-to-back days with an Air Force Academy Falcon going into the portal as well. Yeah, and you were wondering what this, you know, is it a little bit different, you know, going into the portal out of, you know, Air Force than it would be other schools like New Mexico? I don't know the answer to that. I would just guess that it's a lot more complicated than these other situations. Who knows? But uh, Joe Scott has lost another player and seems like everybody is going to be uh, losing a, a number of players. What else, Sammy? Well, a bunch of these teams losing players around the conference. The Lobos, Air Force, Wyoming, uh, John Tanjay of Colorado State going in. So all these teams are losing players. He's not out quite yet, but Utah State men's basketball coach Ryan Odom has emerged now as the front runner to take over at the University of South Florida down in Tampa. Be a nice pay bump uh, for him. He's making just under a million a year now in Logan, Utah. The last coach there who recently got fired, Brian Gregory, with USF, was making $1.6 million a year in a state with no state income tax in Florida, by the way. So nothing is official yet, but and we haven't heard anything from Ryan Odom or Utah State, but that's what the right. insiders are putting out that he is the one that USF currently has their eye on, and really, there's not a close second at the moment. Yeah, and um, I, I, you know, re- remember Ryan Ono uh, Odom is the son of Dave Odom. Uh, before he got to Utah State, he was at uh, University of Maryland at Baltimore or something. UMB, uh, what was it? Yeah, uh, Maryland, Baltimore County. Baltimore County. Okay, so he he spent most of his life. I think actually Richard Patino. I when we asked him about it, if he knew Ryan Odom, he said that when he went to his dad's basketball camp, he might have like stayed at his house and even stayed in his room, but didn't ever meet him on that trip. So anyway, Ryan Odom, you know, real connections to the East Coast much more than. Logan, Utah. No offense, Logan, Utah. I'm sure he appreciated the heck out of the fan support that he got up in Logan, but uh, also the discrepancy there in salaries. Uh, Brian Gregory, the coach that was at South Florida, you mentioned $1.6 million a year, and uh, Ryan Odom around a million up at Utah State. Okay, Sam, uh, what is number four? Well, I'm always here for a good sports documentary, especially when it's an obscure story. And hooey, does this one fit the mold? The latest 30 for 30 that is set to be out. They just finished production, so we don't have a release date yet. But the latest ESPN 30 for 30 coming to the library. The name of it is called I'm Just Here for the Riot. That's the name of the documentary. I'm Just Here for the Riot. It's the story of the fallout, what happened after the 2011 Stanley Cup Final between the Boston Bruins and the Vancouver Canucks. So, I mean, this story isn't even about what happened in a sporting event. It's what happened after the sporting event. So we go back now to June 2011. We're going in the Wayback Machine to to June 2011. The Boston Bruins taking on the, maybe not heavily favored, but certainly the favored Vancouver Canucks in the Stanley Cup Final that year. The game goes all the way to Game 7 at home in Vancouver. Bruins win. Pulling off a bit of an upset in that one. Certainly stunning Vancouver fans, stunning a lot of NHL fans around everywhere. So, the, you know, the game's over, the season's over, the arena clears out, 
And rather than getting in their cars and going home, Canucks fans l- burned downtown Vancouver to the ground. I mean, this was... To, to, to call it I'm just here for the riot is is Jeez. is a fair name. It was. They, they, they torched downtown Vancouver after their team lost the Stanley Cup final. And I, I mean, I, I can, I'll be honest, I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but it's a great 30 for 30 to do a story on. Yeah, well, a lot of times when there we see riots after teams win championships, I think Detroit was a city that we saw it happen in, and it's happened in other places too. Like people always said, why is a team that's winning uh, the championship having a riot? Well, you, you'd think the team that lost would have a riot, and in this case, that's what happened in Vancouver there, Sam. They were they were ticked off, my friend. Yeah, th- th- I... T- to say, it's not an exaggeration. I mean, you know, if you're curious, go read up on it. But we're going to get this thirty for thirty, and I have a feeling they're going to. I mean, it, this is a pretty easy story to, to tell. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to this one, although it, it is going to be tough to relive that entire month. June 2011 was not a good sports month for uh, Sam Hauser, me, for, not the basketball player. <laughs> growing, Why I mean, is that? Well, I, mean, grow, I mean, growing up in South Florida, my brain was programmed to root against anything Boston. So, I mean, I wasn't a Canucks fan, but pulling for them okay. just to see Boston lose. And this is in the middle of June. You know, you, Usually you have the Stanley Cup final and the NBA finals going on right around the same time. So this happens with the Bruins. Right around that same time, the Mavericks beat the Heat in the NBA Finals. It was the first year with LeBron in the Big Three, and the Mavericks win that NBA Finals series. So June 2011 was not a fun month, but I'm, I'm, here, I'm here for this story to get told. You're here for the riot, or when it comes out in the 30 for 30. You're going to be checking that out. All right, what's number three, Sammy? Three, three. Talking game shows, they are still hanging around on network television. If you're home during the day, if you're... Like me, when I was in college and scheduled my, you know, put up my class schedule so I could sit around and, you know, we had a bar on campus, sit around during classes and watch game shows because it was all that was on television. Game shows still giving it a go, but it's 2023. If you want to stay relevant, you got to have your viral moment once in a while. And Wheel of Fortune having its viral moment this week when 76 year old Pat Sajak uses a wrestling move called the Chicken Wing. To take down a contestant on the show, name's Fred Jackson. He's a self-described quote-unquote professional wrestler. At the end of the show, he wins his he wins all his money. Pat Sajak okay. comes over and does this movie, takes him down to the ground. He's seventy-six-year-old Pat Sajak gives this man a wrestling move, and he says it was not scripted. Uh, Fred, the wrestler, said it was not scripted, and he actually Pat actually gave him a a pretty uh, tight move that he couldn't get out of. So at 76, Pat Sajak wanted to see if he still has it, and clearly he still got it. I could see that uh, for the next WWE. What, what's the, what are those things called? Those super those things that we could have won tickets to, Sam. I mean, the the those oh, big the, oh the wrestle, oh, WrestleMania. <laughs> WrestleMania. Yeah. I could see that being incorporated in WrestleMania. He used the chicken wing, but he didn't choose the sleeper hold or the forearm leg lock or any of those moves as far as you know. Correct, Sam? I like chicken. Not just that. All right. All right. What's number two, Sam? Two. All right. So during last night's NCAA tournament coverage, after I settled down from being uh, confused with an actual professional basketball player, Sam Hauser. We get back into the coverage, get back, get back into the games last night, 
And on the coverage, we get a clip of an interview that Greg Gumbel and Clark Kellogg did with new NCAA president Charlie Baker. They share a clip talking about Charlie Baker's priorities around you know the thing that everybody's talking about these days in NIL. Well, there is this basketball tournament that landed just about the same time I landed. I think the other thing I would speak to specifically is trying to create some what I would call consumer protections for families and student athletes around uh, name, image, and likeness, which... That one of the ADs referred to as uh, the only thing that's true about it at this point is everybody lies. Mm -hmm. So I would love to create some transparency and accountability around that so that families actually know um, what they're getting into. And I would really like to see some sort of uniform standard contract so that when somebody signs it, they know they're signing the same kind of agreement everybody else is signing. And in that, along those lines, how do you anticipate that? being done and accomplished going forward well there's a couple of opportunities there one is obviously we're going to talk some with the folks in washington about this and there's a fair amount of appetite to try to de deal with this they've been hearing from a lot of the same people i've been hearing from um but i think it's incumbent on the ncaa to also develop a program that we believe we could implement uh if the if the feds can't actually put something together on their own the only problem with it is um if the feds do it, all 50 states comply. If we do it, we have to perhaps nudge some states and their collegiate programs into participating because they may have state laws that don't require that they play. So what do you hear in that, uh, Sam, that, that you know, the NCAA is, well, you know, when he starts it out about an athletic director saying the only uh, truth about uh, the NIL stuff is that everybody lies uh, so that gets back to this whole thing of why are you having rules in place that are virtually impossible to enforce uh, so what he's trying to do is manipulate through all that and that's not going to be an easy task Sam. no it, it sounds really nice what he's saying but at the end of the at the end of that they're kind of giving himself away of I would rather I would rather the states do it I would rather we have federal law than us have to jump in which is kind of the sense that we've gotten from the NCA from the very beginning. But really what this comes down to, one, the one th at, at the very core of this that hasn't changed, I mean, it'll be two years of NIL in July. We'll, be, we'll have the two-year anniversary of this. One of the core pieces of this that hasn't changed yet is just that. Is nobody trusts anybody, whether it's universities with with boosters or collectives, universities with students, students with, you know, vice versa, every everybody with the NCAA, nobody trusts anybody to even start down a path that is going to be as mutually beneficial as possible. All right, so Charles Barkley had an opinion on it. Here's what Charles Barkley had to say after that interview. Chuck, you're shaking your head. <laughs> Did he say we're going to ask the politicians to help us? See, that, that pisses me off already. Our politicians are awful people. As I talked to Clark earlier, because I asked him about y'all conversation, I would actually go to people who actually care about basketball, not looking at it just themselves. I would put a committee together. I would love for Clark to be on the committee, get some coaches, get some players, and let's try to work this thing out. We can't ask these politicians nothing. Those people are awful people. Democrats and Republicans, they're all crooks. Nobody's no, nobody's bagging it. Chuck, Whoa! Chuck says what Chuck wants these days. Oh! Yeah, it wasn't... Yeah, yeah, it wasn't... Barkley, wasn't it rumored that Barkley was going to run for office? I mean, that's pretty strong. Politicians are all horrible people. I mean, that's kind of 
painting with a pretty broad brush. But like you said, it's Charles Barkley. You never know what he's going to say. What's number one, Sammy? One. One. I mean, Charles Barkley has been in talks to kind of dip his toe out of the sports world on, on television as well. So maybe maybe he's auditioning for that. But what we're just talking about there with college basketball, college sports, NIL, this big picture, it leads into a it leads into a story that came out. It was an opinion piece in the in the New York Times. It was co-written by Notre Dame's president, John Jenkins, and athletic director and vice president Jack Swarbrick. The two of them co-writing an, an opinion piece in the New York Times expressing some of those similar concerns as well. The, the the money paragraph that really struck me, I'm just going to go through this here quickly, referring to the NCAA, it faces threats on a number of fronts. The growing patchwork of contradictory and confusing state laws regulating it, the specter of crippling lawsuits, the profusion of dubious name, image, and likeness deals through which to funnel money to recruits, the misguided attempts to classify student-athletes as employees. Underlying all of this, the widespread belief that college athletics is simply a lucrative business disguised as a as a branch of, ed- of educational institutions. End quote. Again, that from uh, Notre Dame's president and athletic director in an opinion piece in the New York Times. 